What a joy it is today to celebrate the most momentous event in human history, apart from the creation itself. The most important event in all of the history of the universe was the coming of the Creator to become a creature. And we celebrate His coming as Christmas. Our Savior has come. The Jewish nation for many, many years looked and longed for His coming. And on that wonderful day, that wonderful morn in Bethlehem, the star was shining, the shepherds arrived, and there was a celebration, and we want to continue that celebration in our hearts and in our minds today. Indeed, our Lord Jesus Christ is the Creator, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. So we want to praise Him together. We want to just take our lives and embrace Him completely as Lord of life. And uh, we want to enjoy the blessings and the joys of the great salvation that He's brought to us. So may this be a day of great encouragement, great blessing in our lives. Still, we are reminded that we are in the time in which God is seeking to reach our hearts. May the voice of God penetrate many hearts and lives today. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, here we have that wonderful promise, I will hear from heaven, and he will. I will forgive their sin, and he will. And I will heal their land. All right, pastors ask you to read from Luke chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your scripture reading, we'll read from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It says there, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, 
and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Tremendous season of the year in which we find ourselves. The text that we have for the message today, and I hope that you have the outline in hand. The text that we're looking at today is a part of the text that we have considered the last two Sundays at least. It's been in the notes. and so we. But we want to start here because we find again... We find again some things that we, we have not discussed in the previous messages. You'll notice the title of the message is Christmas. And Christmas is a divine gift to be received. A divine gift to be received. Now we talked, we talked about the humiliation of God. That was what it cost God to save us. That's what it cost Jesus Christ to save us. A renunciation of all his own personal rights. The assumption of human flesh. The suffering of the cross. All of the humiliation, the rejection, and we talked about he was uh, like a root out of a dry ground, no form nor comeliness, and just, 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 just the humiliation of God, uh, and and all of this happened for our benefit. But in John's Gospel, uh, we we read this this text: the Word was made flesh. The Greek word is became flesh. And not somebody made it into it, but the word himself became something that he was not. He became something he was not. Jesus Christ, the second person of the divine trinity, became flesh. But you'll notice again his title, the word, which just mystifies people. But, but, but somehow, to get into the heart and mind of God, oh, the deep things of God. God, God is amazing. The psalmist asked the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? What would cause God to want to have anything to do with sinful man? I mean, man blew it. And man didn't blow it because of God's deficiencies. Man blew it because he decided to listen to the devil and become like God. And he, he decided that his way was better than God's way. And, and man absolutely blew it and corrupted himself and, and brought himself into ruin and despair why should God bother with me? Someone has defined the love of God as that attribute of God whereby he was eternally moved to communicate himself to man. Now, that's not in your notes. But what motivates God to communicate himself to man to be known by man, to be loved by man. And so Jesus Christ is titled the Word because he is the one who communicates. He is the personal communication of God to man. How do we know God loves us? Because Jesus Christ manifested that love to us, John tells us. Everything we know about God, we know in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the communication of God to man. God is a communicating God. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't shut us off. Now, when the judgment comes, 
when the judgment comes, if we reject him, re really, we will be eternally cut off. Not of God's choice, but of our choice. Not of God's decision, but of our decision. God's decision was to save us. Now what is your decision? To be saved or to reject God's salvation? So the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ, the communication of God, became what he was not. And he dwelt among men. So in your notes, the communicating God gives a very personal communication of himself to me and to you. And he does it in the person of the Word. That is in the person of Jesus Christ. Now it is a, it is a lie and a fallacy that we can know God without knowing Jesus Christ. God is not known apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God in flesh. And when you watch Jesus Christ in his life on earth, when you walk through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything you see and you hear is God in flesh. God in flesh. God communicating. God speaking. God acting. God reacting. God ministering, and ultimately God dying for our sins, God raising himself from the dead. This is God in flesh. It's in the person of the Word. And in, in the case of Christmas, it's a human person, one that can be seen and observed. You will notice, number one, that he tended, he dwelt among us. Literally, the Greek, the Greek uh, preposition is he dwelt in us. He came to be a part of us if you please, a part of the human race. He assumed humanity, a human body. He dwelt in us. He was a human person to be seen and observed. And a person who was witnessed by those who witnessed his life. You will notice, John says, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Uh, the New American Standard says, we saw his glory. Uh, but uh, there are several words in the Greek in the Greek language that indicate that you are looking at something, you are seeing something with your eyes. And this is the word from which we get our, our, our English word theater. Uh, and we beheld his glory. And uh, I have seen there in, in point number three in the outline, Briggs and Driver says it means to have an intent look at something, to take something in with one's eyes with implication that one is especially impressed to see, to look at, to behold, to perceive something above and beyond what is merely seen with the eye, to see, behold, and perceive. John said we beheld his glory. He said it wasn't a cursory glance. It wasn't like watching an accident, boom, it's over with. This was a three-year period of time in which he was observed. Now, we have not observed him, but those who have observed him have given us an inspired written record of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then in the first chapter of the book of Acts. So those who theatered him, who lived with him, who observed him carefully, uh, and, and who heard every word that, that he spoke, who, who, who saw, who heard and saw everything. These people, we beheld what? Well, we beheld his personal glory, a unique personal glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, the uniquely begotten of the Father. His personal glory was unique. No one like him. 
nothing like him. And again, we have the competition of hundreds, it might be in the thousands of world religions, uh, and all of the gods of these religions, I don't know how many, I've heard some phenomenal numbers of the, of the numbers of gods that are worshipped just by one nation, by the nation in India. Uh, just hundreds of gods, gods all over the place. But there is no one, absolutely no one, no god like him. Totally unique. He's uniquely begotten from the Father. He's the very effulgence of God's glory, that is, the outshining, the outraying of the Creator's glory. Which one of these gods that are worshipped by people, which one of these gods that sit on a shelf in people's homes, which one of these gods has the power to create a universe? Which one of these gods never had a beginning and never had an end? Which one of these gods could get in a boat and say to the waters and to the storm, Hush! Be still. Not a one of them. Uniquely begotten. The effulgence of God himself, the outshining, the fullness of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The divine human person was filled with both grace and truth. Now, why, why did Jesus Christ come? Why did Jesus Christ come? John tells us in chapter 3, he did not come to condemn the world. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be, what? Saved or rescued. Filled with grace and with truth. The word grace is an interesting word. If I were to ask the average Christian, what is grace? I would receive two words. Do you know, what, what, what two words would I hear? Unmerited favor. Now, the word unmerited is not inherent in the word grace. We use the word because the favor is so marvelous and so wonderful and so extensive and so grand and so glorious that it is totally inexplicable. You can't explain this kind of goodness and favor from God in view of our sinfulness. And so we have to add the word undeserved favor. But the word, the, the root of the word means to rejoice or joy. It means that something is so wonderful that it changes our disposition, our mental and emotional disposition. And it turns from one of despair and one of guilt and, and, and one of hardness and, and it turns to joy and rejoicing. It is so good and it is so wonderful. Now I've watched people open Christmas presents. And you have too. And uh, sometimes it'll be something, a bag of candy, which, you know, well, that's going to add five pounds of fat. Um, or something else that, that, that you have, maybe three or four of them already. But every once in a while, there will be a gift that is opened at a Christmas celebration that you just see a wow factor. I mean, the whole face lights up. And, and, and there is just an expression of joy. The whole disposition of the person changes. Ooh. And the root of the word grace has to, has to do with a favor that is so intense that it changes our disposition. Basically, we would give some, some synonyms. 
I think the closest synonym is, synonym is the word favor, generosity, beneficence, or goodwill. Freiburg says that grace is a quality that adds delight or pleasure, graciousness, attractiveness, or charm, or a favorable attitude of what is felt toward another, that's goodwill or favor, as a religious technical term for God's attitude toward human beings, kindness, grace, favor, and helplessness. You know, people come into a church, and, and, and because of the greatness and holiness of God and our awesome respect for God and His Word, there, there must be a spirit of reverence in our worship. But so many times things are cold and dead. And where things are cold and dead, somehow the grace of God is missing. Because where the grace of God is, there's joy. And there's rejoicing. Wow. Some of these hymns, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, if I told you like this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Now, there's no grace in that. If the grace of God touches you, it changes your inward spiritual disposition. And I promise you, if your inward spiritual disposition has never been changed, you have never been saved. I promise you. The grace of God is not a dull, boring experience in life. It cannot be. It cannot be. Jesus Christ came, and it says here that the Word became flesh, and the Word was filled, full of grace. It was filled, filled full, filled full of two things. Now you notice the word judgment is not there. Filled full with favor. Christmas is about grace and truth. Filled full of the favor, the generosity, the overflowing helpfulness and goodness and goodwill and generosity and beneficence of God. When Jesus Christ was born in that manger, that was an outpouring of the grace of God. I just have a note, just a brief note on the top of page 2, to give grace, which sometimes we characterize giving thanks at a meal, is to, rec to God is to recognize His divine favor. We eat because of God's divine favor. <laughs> Truth is a very interesting word. I need to move along. Maybe I'll have to finish this sermon next week. Truth is from the word aletheia. Aletheia, I think one of our former associate pastors named his daughter Aletheia. I don't know if anybody here remembers that. But he named his daughter Aletheia, and the word Aletheia means truth. A means not. Aletheia from, comes from Lanthano. It means not to be hidden. Uh, the word Lanthano means to be hidden. It means secretly, unaware, without knowing. So the word truth means hiding nothing, total non-concealment. If I tell the truth, there is nothing left that's, that's hidden. Everything is open to view. It's a total non-concealment. And it means that I become at that point 
totally in touch with reality. Totally in touch with reality. Why is the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation? Well, Revelation, um, one preacher mispronounced it, called it the book of the revolutions. But, but it's actually the Greek word is apocalypse. And it means to take the cover off of. It means to reveal. Uh, it's like the word aletheia. It means not totally not. It means not to conceal. It means remove the concealment to, to where there's to everything is laid open to view. So Jesus Christ came in order that we might connect. We might connect with reality. Oh, the denial that goes on in the hearts of so many people. May I say that you will always live in guilt until you take the cover off of everything in your life and you become totally open and honest. You cannot have a relationship with God with half your life covered up. And you can't have a relationship properly with your children, your wife, your husband, your neighbors, your work associates with half your life covered up. Honesty. Truth. This word of God was filled with the favor of God and filled with reality. You see, knowing reality comes through Jesus Christ. You'll notice I have a verse in Colossians that, that, that tells us this. He talks about the wealth in verse 2 that comes from the, the full assurance and understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that's in Christ himself, in whom, now get this, get this, if you're an educator, get this, get this, you've got to know this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now you'll notice I have highlighted a true knowledge of God's mystery. The true knowledge there is the Greek word epignosis. It means full, it means full knowledge. Nothing missing in what you need to know. The full knowledge of God's mystery, who is Christ himself, in whom are, notice, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He truly is the light of the intellectual world. Without him, our, our academic system is a system of darkness. He's the light of the moral world. He's the light of the financial world. He's the light of every dynamic of life. He gives us the purpose, the meaning of God for every dynamic of our lives. He opens up the answer to who am I? Why am I alive? What purpose does God have in my life? What is God doing in the world around me? Why do I exist? What am I to do today? What is marriage? What is male? What is female? All of these things are answered in Jesus Christ. And the reason they're answered in Him is because He is the Creator. He's the only one that has comprehensive knowledge of everything. And if you don't gain knowledge from Him, you're ignorant. You can put as many PhDs after your name as you want to. I'm not against education. I'm just saying when you throw God out of your universe, you have no universe, you have a chaos. 
That's what I'm saying. Why did Jesus Christ come so that we could reconnect with, re with reality? If you wonder why the USA is in a mess today, it's because we have disconnected from reality. We've been disconnected from the favor of God, and we've become disconnected from reality. And we can't get, we can't get reconnected unless we get connected to God through Jesus Christ, his Son. That's the answer to that. He says in verse 16, of, of the fullness of Jesus Christ, of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. This is amazing, an amazing statement. Notice, grace for grace. This is, this is the Greek expression for grace, piled up on top of 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 grace. It's like you go to the ice cream store, and, he, and, and, the, and the man takes a cone, and he puts a scoop on it, and then he takes another scoop, and he takes another scoop, and, he take, and you look at that thing, I can't eat all of that. And he just keeps scooping and scooping until you wonder, can I hold this thing, say? That's a picture of grace being piled on grace, being piled on grace, being piled on grace. Don't tell me that God is a mean God. That doesn't, that, that doesn't, that doesn't square with the Word of God. Don't tell me that God sends people to hell. Don't tell me that. Where did you get that idea? Don't tell me that God doesn't love you because of all the meanness of the devil in this world, because of all the consequences of sin. Don't blame that on God. God came to turn that upside down and turn that around. And if you have trouble with all of the war and the sickness and the suffering and all of the heartache and the human tragedy around you, if you have trouble with that, then you need to it, it somehow may the lights go on in your heart and mind that God came to reverse that process in your life. He didn't come to make it. He didn't invent that. The devil invented that. God came to reverse that. God came to change that. God came to lift us out of that. He's an amazing God. Grace piled on favor, piled on favor, piled on favor, piled on favor. And he says, we have received. Now you see, the problem is here, John is speaking of those who have received this Savior. We have welcomed him. We have taken of him. But so many who have not received him. How do you get this? This just, just doesn't happen to you. You have a choice to make. You have a decision to make. You have to decide if your life is going to be lived in the kingdom of darkness or in the kingdom of light. That's a decision you make. In the, by the grace of God, years ago, wonderfully, God touched my heart. And I received this treasure. Wow. This wonderful word who became flesh, filled with grace and truth. It's more than a revolution of life. It's a total, total, total transformation. A total transformation. The fullness of Jesus Christ is all through the New Testament. All through the New Testament. Ephesians 3.18, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, every time I read that word fullness, uh, I think of the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> it begins with that, with that terrible negative dirge. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. 
we, we have a birthday song, we sing it, I'd sing it for you, but you, it would sit, put you in a fit of despair. <laughs> it put you in a fit of despair. Em the word vanity means emptiness, emptiness. Everything is emptiness. There's nothing anywhere that's real. Uh, emptiness, emptiness, all is emptiness. Everything is meaningless. You repeat it, you're, there's nothing, this is nothing is worth nothing, and, and all of this nothing leads to more of nothing, and you just keep repeating nothing for all of your life, and when you end up, you've got nothing. And here God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. This Amen. is Christmas. Amen. And he said, I'll fill you up with something. Yeah. Amen. I'll fill you up with grace and truth. Yep. See? That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. In Colossians 2, in him all the fullness of deity dwells, notice, in bodily form. That's his humanity. That's Christmas. Mm -hmm. All his dwells in bodily form. And then it talks about the fullness. Notice the next font is like a blue font there. It says you're made complete. You're com your life is completed. You're not empty anymore. You're, you're not like an accident going somewhere to happen. As the word circumcised has to do with being crucified with Christ. And you and I needed to be crucified. If we don't get crucified, then there's judgment down the road. If we get judgment by being crucified in Christ, then our judgment's over. This is an amazing truth of salvation. Then you notice the word buried with him. That, that's to put an end to everything God cannot accept. That's wonderful. God knew we couldn't get to heaven the way we are. He crucified us, he buried us, then he raised us up in Christ, made us alive together with him, canceled out the, 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 the condemnatory uh, power of the law. He canceled this out to where, the, to where when we stand before God, there's no law going to condemn us there. And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He conquered Satan and his host of demonic powers. Now, he's done all of this in him, all of this is everything we need. This is what takes our life out of the kingdom of darkness and moves it into the kingdom of light. Takes us out of purposelessness into purposefulness. Takes us out of emptiness into fullness. It, it, it's the grace, joy, rejoicing, happiness. I've seen people get happy when they're saying, I like to see people happy when they sing. If they're not happy, I'm wondering where the grace of God is. Huh. Where is it? Where is it? In Colossians, in Him, it pleased the Father that in Him should all, literally, the fullness dwell. There isn't fullness anywhere else. It has the article in front of it, in the Greek language. Specifically, all God's fullness. You don't get some of God's fullness out of religion and some out of Jesus Christ. You don't get some out of it, some of it out of your bank account and some out of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, some out of your lifestyle and some out of... No, 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 no. It's all in Jesus Christ. He rearranges your whole life in the plan and purpose of God and every dynamic of life becomes meaningful with divine purpose and with the joy of the blessing of God. Grace and truth. Favor and reality. It changes life. And then in verse 17, this is an amazing statement. I read this in the English translations, both King James and New American Standard, and neither one of them can literally give the translation, but because in front of the word grace and in front of the word truth, there is an article, the grace and the truth. All grace not just certain acts of grace, all grace, all of God's favor, every expression of God's favor, all of God's favor, and all of God's truth. 
Not some of God's truth. The grace and the truth. Grace as grace and all truth as truth. Literally, through Jesus Christ became, came into existence. Now hear me. Regardless of what your religious faith might be, the Word of God says that Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. This Jesus Christ is the origination. He is the only source of true grace and truth. There is no other source for divine favor and for reality. You cannot get epignosis. You cannot get full knowledge of reality. You cannot get the favor of God. It's wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the source. He's the unique and only source of grace and truth. I'm getting short on time here. He talks about the law being given by Moses. Well, in, in, the, in, the book, in the books of Moses, they were doing sacrifices. They were giving sacrifices, giving sacrifices in anticipation of the coming Messiah. They were giving and doing and going through all of these motions. And they were giving the sacrifices. Now, I hope that you're still awake. I'm almost there. They were giving the sacrifices, but at Christmas, God gave the sacrifice, yes. mm -hmm. you see. Mm -hmm. So when God gives the sacrifice, the sacrifice that pleases him, the sacrifice that he designs, the sacrifice that he ordains, the sacrifice that fulfills all of the Old Testament requirements, when that sacrifice is given by God for your sins and my sins, then there's one thing left. It must be received. It must be received. The giving of a sacrifice is replaced now by the receiving of a, of a sacrifice. Remember what John the Baptist said as he went preaching? Behold the Lamb of God. God's provision of sacrifice for sins. That's Christmas. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We conclude the message in a very familiar text, Ephesians chapter 2. And again, I repeat from verse number 1. It's a dramatic statement in the Greek text. Verse number 1, And you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and your sins. God, who was rich, having a wealth of compassion because of a great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ by grace, by divine favor, you have been saved. Which means rescued from the judgment and penalty of your sins. By divine favor, by grace. And then you come to verse 8, and it's absolutely amazing. Let's go back again to verse 5. By divine favor you've been saved, been raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, that's God's divine favor specifically given to us 
in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. And I've never seen this before, but I'm looking at this text anew in verse 8. There's an article before the, 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 the word grace. It means it's talking about a specific grace. Well, what grace? By this grace. What grace? The divine favor that he talks about in verse 5. Where we have been crucified with Christ and raised up and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's by this particular grace that we are saved. And the way we get it is through faith. That's believing what God says. Confidence that God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he will do. And not of yourselves, where of means it's the preposition out of. Nothing from within yourself can do this. And literally, at the end of verse 8, from God, the gift. From God, the gift. Not from the church, not from the pastor, not from the rabbi, not from the priest, from God. What is the word? Gift. 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 I want to make a prediction. I want to make a prediction. If you do any gift giving and gift opening at Christmas, I want to promise you that nobody in your house is going to say, now how much does this cost? I've got to, have, I've got to pay you for this. This looks like an expensive gift to me. Uh, and, and you pull out your billfold and you begin to look through your how, how much, how much, how much, how much, how much. I've got to contribute to this. That would be an utter insult to the giver. You pull out your, and, but religiously, a lot of people I'm talking to today, yes. you pull out your billfold. Yes. And you say to God, now, I've got to help pay for this. I've got to help pay for my sins. got to help for this and this and this. I've got to, I, I, God, I can't get there. And you, you, you won't accept me unless I, no, you, you're insulting the giver. You see, God said the gift is from him. Of God, the gift. Not out from yourself. Not out of any works. That's anything that you might do. Specifically, not it doesn't come that way. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And you get the grace of God and truth by receiving the gift giver, the Jesus Christ. He is the gift. And there's no other grace that can save you. There's no other God who can save you. No other, no, no, no other person that can save you. Jesus, it is a personal Savior. You think of the baby in the manger. The Word became flesh. Lived, crucified, buried, raised, ascended into heaven. The Word became flesh. Filled with grace and truth. And we have received grace piled on grace, piled on grace, piled on grace. I challenge you. You've tried your way. Now why don't you do it God's way? Yep. Why don't you do it God's way? Yep. Just come to the end of yourself and say, All right, God, I'm going to let you be God and I'm not going to try to play God. <laughs> I'm going to quit all of these works today. Yep. Lord Jesus, you are the Word made flesh. God, I need to know you. I need, to be, I need to be filled with your fullness, but I can't have your fullness unless I have Jesus, because all of the fullness of God resides in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. My Creator, my Redeemer, I receive you today. Save me from my sins. 
And if you cry out to him like that, you will never, never, never be the same. And when you know the grace of God, your heart will be filled with joy and rejoicing. And you'll be living in a new reality and there will be a certainty about life. There will be a stability about life, a joy about life that doesn't come any other way. It's all because of the outpouring of the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're a believer, stop trying to live life according to the terms of a pagan culture around you. The values, the philosophy, the morals. Throw it away. Get your fullness in Jesus Christ. Truth, reality, Gain it out of the Word of God. He is the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. Fill your heart and mind with the written Word in this coming year. Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. What a good God you are. Touch lives today powerfully. Regenerate, save. Mm -hmm. Change the lives of people who are trusting you right now. And God, I pray that you'll just renew our appreciation, our love, and our joy in the saving grace of Jesus Christ, may this Christmas be a time of tremendous joy and rejoicing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.